Cafe Benefit hosted by Brian Edward Stiegert at the Congenial Hillside Club, 2268 Cedar Street in North Berkeley. There's wheelchair access. Advanced tickets, $12 through brownpapertickets.com or supportive bookstores. Full info on the KPFA website. For Sasha Lilly, Catastrophism, February 17th. Get recharged. And good afternoon. You're listening to 94.1 FM KPFA here in Berkeley and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno and online at kpfa.org. The time is now 3 p.m. Stay with us for a stone's throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. Your picture drop the shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. What a wonderful title for Sasha Lilly's book. <laughs> Catastrophism. I love it. I love it. I must dig out my little pamphlet, Fashions in Feminosity. Whenever I do pamphlets like that, you know, editors always say, Oh, you're just being so cute. You're just being so clever. And I, I, I don't know. Um, I have a couple of letters of complaint lately, lately saying that I say one thing and mean another. And... I, I guess I should try to talk straight. Uh, if it's possible, I don't see how it's possible in today's world. The language itself seems to be lying. I, uh, I have these Orwellian nightmares. Never mind. I have a couple of, uh, serious things, a couple of announcements here. Uh, uh, ha, ha. first of all, we do have a fundraiser coming up. I will be trying to get you to subscribe to the station uh let's see the first tuesday february the 12th and the book that i will be offering then uh for subscriptions to the station this is just to get you ahead on this you know it's a big 40 dollar book so i thought i'd tell you about it today not not about the book but just uh just to tell you i'll be offering it it's thornton wilder's biography Thornton Wilder is, uh, uh, wow, one of the great American writers. The book is by Penelope Niven, N-I-V-E-N, with a foreword by Edward Albee. As I said, this is a big, fat, heavy biography and very satisfying. Uh, I'll go on at great length about it on the 12th, and then I think probably the Tuesday after that, if we... uh, have copies left for that. Uh, I'm looking here at these pictures. I I myself did bits. Oh, let's see. Um, my favorite, of course, is uh, Thornton Wilder's play. Uh, oh, what was the the one with uh, 
uh, Sabina, yes, I remember. Uh, it was, it was what do you call that? Uh, it was the uh, the quintessential play, the one about uh, uh, all human history, all human history. The uh, uh, you know the skin of our teeth was the title, and the expression simply means we're getting through life or we're getting through history by the skin of our teeth. Uh, the other, my other favorite. Uh, was the little novel of the Bridge of San Luis Rey. I loved reading that with students, with high school students. Uh, for some reason or another, they uh, they were intrigued by this notion of why would one, why should one person die and another not die? <laughs> you remember the five people who uh, die when a bridge breaks, and then the the novel goes into. Uh, uh, the lives, the biographies of these five people. And it does not answer the question as to, you know, why me? But it is one of the great questions. Uh, actually, I guess most people, most people are familiar with Thornton Wilder because in high school they uh, they played in uh, his uh, very famous, his very, very famous uh play let's see the stage manager is what we used to do for readings we'd go to class and i remember when i was teaching what i guess we were calling in those days public speaking i would ask people to uh do the stage manager in that play uh it was what is it um it was the one not the, it was the one I think that he got the Pulitzer Prize for. No, that was that would have been skin of our teeth. Anyway, I'm looking through the book here while I'm supposed to be uh doing a show. But anyway, I, I love this book, Thornton Wilder's A Life by Penelope Niven, and that I'll save for the twelfth of February. Uh the uh uh other announcement I have uh, a friend has written to me, and I, I think this is probably uh, pretty vague to be giving you on the air. This old friend is looking for submissions to an anthology, and I just realized that the uh, the letter has been sitting here in the mail since the fifteenth of January, and uh, the the date on this, the submissions. Let's see. Submissions will, there's no, no, uh, chance to get your stuff in here unless you can get it to him before the end of the month. Okay. It's Charles Entrican. And let me just throw this out. I'll just take two minutes. Uh, Charles is looking for anyone who was a part of the Berkeley Poets Cooperative back in the day. Uh, he's looking for submissions for an anthology he's putting together. If you were in the Berkeley Poets Cooperative between 1968 and 1990, Charles would like to hear from you, but only by email. I'll give you the address this year. Uh, uh, let's see. He wants not so much your poetry um, as uh, your biography. Uh, he says that the story of the Berkeley Poets Cooperative is relevant today. I would say yes, it was. Imagine, uh, oh gosh, 30, 40 people getting together once a week without any money involved. No money, no, uh, no, um, uh, 
what is it, no facilitators, nothing. We just did word work. Uh, I went for, oh, a couple of years. I was teaching then, and I needed to be with some grown-ups from time to time. Uh, I remember there my favorite uh, person was Alicia Ostricker. Uh, she teaches at Rutgers now. And uh, the Poets Cooperative published a few books every year. Uh, they did a lovely little book for me, a book of my prose called Over by the Caves. Uh, oh, I meant to mention... Uh, I was listening to the last show, and I thought I should mention to KPFA listeners that I have uh, four titles, if you're interested. You can write to me at KPFA, Box 94, Jennifer Stone, if you're interested in uh, a list of my books. Uh, anyway, Charles lives in Orinda. It's Charles Entrican, E-N-T-R-E-K-I-N. This is for those of you who were part of the Poets Cooperative. You remember we met in that big brown shingle mansion and argued over the the integrity of an image cluster. Wow. <laughs> anyway, submissions to the proposed anthology, essays, memoirs, stories. The working title will be History of the Berkeley Poets Cooperative from 1968 to 1990. And, of course, uh, he'd like to hear from you in any case. The word limit is 2,500 words. He suggests that you send him reminiscences of the meetings of life in Berkeley. Uh, other uh, focus is, let's see, who were you? Why did you come to the meetings? <laughs> ah, yes, I was going to say, uh, there was a lot of cruising going on. Uh, why were you in Berkeley? Who have you become since that time in Berkeley? Yes. Whatever became of so-and-so? Uh, he says the constraints... Uh, for publication purposes, you have to agree in advance about editorial changes because you won't have time, you know, to go back and forth obtaining approvals. Okay, if you give him material, you're going to have to be happy uh, with whatever he does with it. Uh, okay, electronically, via the Internet only. Okay. If those aren't problems and you were part of the Berkeley Poets Cooperative, get in touch with Charles. He's in Orinda at 5 Del Mar Court. You can write to him, I guess. 5 Del Mar Court, D-E-L-M-A-R. In Orinda, California, 94563. Charles' phone number is 925 Eight six zero six one one. Now, I hope that Charles is not deluged with calls. I'm kind of figuring that only a few people will have been uh, part, only a few of the people listening to this show will have been part of that group. Uh, I do remember so many of you. Anyway, uh, let's see, where is Charles' uh, email address? It's C. Entrican, C. E. These are all small case letters. C. E. E. N. T. R. E. K. I. N. At. G. Mail. M. A. I. L. Dot com. Okay.
it's just a notion. It might be fun uh, to talk to Charles if you were part of that group. Uh, we did have a wonderful time. Yes, back in the day, back in the day. And just before I leave the announcements, you can look in the New Yorker of January the 7th if you're interested in a review by Robert Gottlieb of the Thornton Wilder book. Uh, yes, a critic at large, man of letters, Thornton Wilder. And the uh, reviewer is Robert Gottlieb. This is the 7th January this year issue. Uh, very nice, very nice, well-written review. Robert Gottlieb always hits the nail on the head. Uh, in any case, yes, I've used up half my show making announcements. I, my goodness, I am getting to be, uh, what do you call that, uh, such a, such a uh, blatherer. Uh, I should try to synthesize. In any case, today is January the 29th, and this is Stone's Throw. The President, Barack Obama, has been sworn in and given speeches, and it's all about togetherness, and so uh, the public, the polis, can turn at once to who's next. You know, it's been more than a week, yes, so uh, who's going to be the next president? Uh, Hillary's been on TV trying to deny that she's running for office in uh, 2016. Joe Biden is playing footsie, you know. I think he just needs to be certain that she's going to run, in which case I'm sure he will be a gentleman and step aside. Of course, he also is aware that Hillary is ill. You remember she had that blood clot on the brain. The media pundits had to explain why she was wearing her glasses, you know, because contacts are so difficult when you've got a headache. I tried to wear the damn things for years. No luck. No way. Hillary herself uh, was talking. Let's see. She was having an interview together with the president. Solidarity, togetherness, yes. And she stated that she's not supposed to be in politics just at the moment. She needs rest and she needs to retreat and retrench and recover. I suppose she could go on a trip with Bill. Uh, I don't see them holding hands too much, but yes, no, I do see him kind of with his hand on her shoulder guiding her. She might hang out with Chelsea, she's certainly in the catbird seat these days. Uh, she looks mellow, but um, frankly, uh, time and tide is catching up with her. Uh, she can wait for the right photo ops for a year or two, but I think she should go to the seashore, hang out in Bolinas, uh, drop into the shops over in Marin County. <laughs> What a, a nice new age scene. Ah, uh, Hillary Clinton in Bolinas, maybe Stinson. No, anyway, I I guess it's frivolous or maybe it's uh, old hat imagining a cheerful new age era. Ah, uh, uh, Hillary Clinton presiding over an age of Aquarius. 
Uh, there's no harm in people my age talking about it, thinking about it. Uh, makes me feel good to think I might see a woman in the White House before I die. Ho, ho. Mm-mm. Hillary used to talk about the religion of gratitude. That was, that was when they were really hanging her out to dry. She used to say that, uh, all things considered, she was grateful for, uh, the flowers in the White House. She could get up every morning and see fresh flowers in every room. Uh, I'm grateful just to feel good, to feel that it might be fun to see the woman in the White House. Not, not even Hillary, just, you know. Just a girl, still. What I feel and what I think are at opposite poles. We all know about pessimism of the intellect and optimism of the will. Yes, uh, there's a movie all about Margaret Thatcher, as portrayed by the brilliant actor Meryl Streep. And I got a kick out of it because we see Maggie Thatcher in her great old age, talking to her doctor, and he's asking her about her feelings. He talks about her grief for her dead husband and depression and aging and all that stuff. And she's got a terrific speech. The uh, screenwriter does a good job. Uh, she tells the doctor how she's pretty much sick of everyone going on about how they feel about feelings. <laughs> she says, how, how the, she, people say, how does the group feel about this or that? And then she sternly tells him she's interested in what people think about their ideas, thoughts and ideas, she says. That's what she cares about. She wants to get things sorted. That wonderful expression she's always talking to her departed husband. Uh, uh, Jim Broadbent plays the husband. He's a, a continual presence, I suppose, a ghost, if you want to see it that way. But uh, he's always there with her. He's her significant other, and she uh, bounces all her thoughts and ideas off him and even her feelings, yes. She's such a great actor. I was completely in sympathy with her point of view until I thought about it. Yes. It's such an effort to think twice. I guess the screenwriter wanted us to think about how conservatives think. Their ideas, you know, the ideas that Margaret Thatcher had... Uh, they were all about saving Britain by being austere. You remember back in the day, back when she and Ronald Reagan ruled Western civilization, <laughs> would that we could even pretend that our right-wing conservatives <laughs> have thoughts and ideas, especially in the, yes, uh, uh, present situation, the Tea Party seems to think that government is not worth having, that they are the problem, you know. Uh, let's see. The president, Barack Obama, points out that the uh, right wing, the neocons, are not interested in governing, the act of governing. They, uh, you know, put all their energy into defeating him, into winning. Uh, 
I wonder what they think civil servants uh, do for their salaries, you know, their job description. Our Congress, anyway, uh, doesn't seem to conceive of the, uh, the role of the public servant, you know. Eleanor Roosevelt used to say, we had a servant problem. Anyway, uh, their job, as they see it, is to destroy the Liberal Party so that crony capitalists can confiscate all resources. Bill Moyers did a terrific expose about the revolving door between the Congress and, uh, oh, uh, the pharmaceutical industry, you know, the military-industrial complex. Uh, you know, one one day they're working for one, one next day for the other. Uh, I'm afraid the classic definition of fascism is still the union, the coming together of government with a business. You know, the government is a business. Factory fascism. Now, that's an idea. That's a thought. Now, uh, some people think Maggie Thatcher embodied that idea, just as Ronald Reagan did. But uh, uh, I think it's sad that nostalgia for dead conservatives has reached the epic proportions that it has. I look to the film business, show business, for proof. Uh, I was going to bring a big essay I wrote back in the 80s about the Rambo pictures in which I predicted the present um, uh, slash for cash, smash, bash films, the uh, rise of military hoo-ha. Actually, it's turned out to be all about the uh, the security industry, you know, homeland security uh what propaganda? Anyway, Meryl Streep was sharp as a tack as, <laughs> as a grocer's daughter. She's part of the proletariat. But, of course, in the film, they show her slipping into dementia. Actually, that's the subject of the film itself. She's clinging to ideas, of course, that no longer make much sense. She has not uh, changed with the times. She has not evolved. Oh, some leaders can expand with time, uh, writers, thinkers, whatever. Uh, some of us expand and some of us contract. Think of your friends. Think of the ones that are exactly the same today as they were when they were 25. Now, as I said, the movie's mostly the portrait of one woman's life. Uh, Margaret got her ideas from World War II. As Queen Elizabeth says, we were trained we were taught in those days. She gets a mindset like Ronald Reagan's, yes, uh, World War II mindset. She compares the Falkland Islands to the scene in Hawaii, you know, when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor back in the 40s. Hopefully, this film will simply be viewed as the struggle of one woman uh, in the public world of men. That part's fun, you know, how they all... Uh, make fun of her and uh, uh, the uh, public toilet. The, the uh, toilets at the parliament is cute. Uh, but when it comes to reality, I could wish, you know, that the British Parliament had nurtured someone like my favorite MP, Glenda Jackson. <laughs> she, she's a, she's an MP. I heard her on 
BBC late one night. She kept saying, don't go into transit. Transit will finish you. You can't make a career of transit. Anyway, she could do the job. She has working class roots. Uh, and she would surely have been a more liberal prime minister than Maggie Thatcher. Uh, our own political history has been forever compromised by the career of J. Edgar Hoover. Now, that movie knocked my socks off. Uh, ah, directed by Clint Eastwood. Took me by surprise. Um, uh, so many people tell me it's impossible to make a great film about right-wingers. I don't know. Leonardo DiCaprio is so good in this, I have to... I have to hand it to him. I think he's a genius. Uh, and Clint Eastwood's direction, ouch. Uh, you remember what Clint Eastwood did with the Charlie Parker biography, the film Bird, unforgettable. Uh, what he does with Hoover's biography just stunned me. He doesn't even have to lie, not directly. He starts with the Palmer Raids in 1919, when Hoover is a young American public servant, and the film portrays uh, J. Edgar Hoover as a great American hero. Like Ollie North, you know, he's a patriot. That's all that matters. Uh, that's the message of the movie, you know. It's, that's what it makes you feel. We hear him tell his agents at the FBI that he's less interested in the crimes his targeted enemies commit. He's more interested in what they may wish to commit, what their plans are. Judy Dench is uh, terrific. She's the kind of mother. She's Hoover's mother. Uh, she, she recalls the mother of Alexander the Great. You remember Alex the Macedonian madman back in the day. Uh <laughs> Oh, those scenes just made my blood run cold. Hoover's love for his second-in-command, uh, uh, Colson Wright, it's, it's portrayed without any malice, no jokes, uh, gay romance, yes. God bless the Boy Scouts this week, yes, no jokes allowed. Uh, who is it said there are no ugly loves or handsome prisons? Kind of depends, doesn't it? Hitler, Hitler loved his dogs. Who you are depends on where you sit. Anyway, if Hoover had been able to evolve, to grow, to change, could he perhaps have uh, made the era of JFK a time for justice? Could he have grown to understand the war in Southeast Asia for what it was and not mix it up with the earlier wars. Uh, he was stuck back in time, you know, with the earlier wars. Uh, they were noble causes. Of course, those of us who still believe that the past was a golden age, we are equally trapped in a, a fantasy, a myth. J. Edgar Hoover saw himself as a knight, a heroic figure. Even Jimmy Cagney had to change from a romantic gangster to uh, a noble G-man so the FBI could emerge as all-American. Cagney got so frightened at uh, the uh, HUAC, the House on american Activities Committee, that he rushed out and made Yankee Doodle Dandy. Uh, 
If Hoover had been able to see Martin King as a Christian crusader, not as a terrorist, history would have been a whole different story. Of course, if those Kennedy boys had been able to become liberal leaders, if they had been left alive, where would we be today? In any case, today we're in Pax Americana. Robert McNamara said he couldn't think without an enemy. I have to get off the air, and I'll have to finish up uh, about the solution to all this. Uh, the solution comes to us from George Bernard Shaw, from socialism, the world we never got. Socialism didn't fail us. We never got it. This has been Jennifer Stone. Be back on the air next week at this same time. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. American History Month by listening to three-time novelist Valerie Haynes Perry, reading from her exciting prize-winning work on Friday, February 1st at 3 p.m. here on KPFA on the Poet to Poet series on Open Book. Produced by Nina Serrano with technical direction by Jill Montgomery. Listen to Valerie Haynes Perry and enjoy. Thank you.